Geek and Cycling, a history of our wonderful sport for the discerning listener. This week in cycling history in 1960, the Poggio was added to the route of Milan San Remo. The Poggio has become the focal point of the entire race in modern days. So to imagine Milan San Remo without this 3.7 kilometer climb is like imagining a Tour de France without the Alps. In the editions preceding that of 1960, the race had invariably ended up in a bunch sprint won by fast men such as Miguel Pablé, Rick Van Looy and Fred de Bruyne. It was after this series of race winners that the organisers finally got fed up with their race ending in a big sprint every year. So they introduced the climb of the Poggio. At 3.7 kilometres long, with an average gradient of 3.7%, the climb would not be much of a challenge for even the most rotund of cyclotourists. But coming as it does after 288 kilometres ridden at over 40 kilometres per hour, the Poggio has emerged as a fascinating strategical linchpin on which entire careers can be forged. As it happened, the first year the Poggio was used, a leading group of seven riders, including Tom Simpson, made it to the foot of the climb with a slight advantage. Appropriately enough, it was an Italian, Gaston Nencini, who reached the top of the Poggio first. Nencini would go on to win the Tour de France later in 1960, but in that year's Milan San Remo, it was a Frenchman who took the spoils, as René Privat descended quickest and won solo on the Via Roma. Right, as you've probably guessed, this week in Cycling History Episode 4 is centred around the race that's happening today, and that's Milan San Remo. The Poggio is... For me, one of the most exciting moments in any race that doesn't involve cobbles. But for me, it's a race where I, I prefer to just look at the Italians in bikinis for the first 290 kilometres before the uh, very short climax of the race. I think that's what Mario Cipollini was doing for years too before he finally won it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've no doubt we'll, we'll have a quick mention of Chippo lately. This is a race which is it's really difficult for the organisers to break up for the modern peloton, I think. Because, I mean, we talked there, they introduced it because they were worried about it being a, you know, essentially a, an endless bunch sprint every year in the Via Roma. And then they introduced the Suppressa as well to try and break up the race. But every year it comes down to, to the Poggio. So essentially for me, it's a short race with a, a really long warm-up, but I just I just love it. Yeah, and, and like... You know, some people give out that, you know, a lot of the time it comes down to a bunch sprint at the end, but it really doesn't, you know. I mean, there are w- winners on the on the, on the the list, uh, like, you know, like Mario Cipollini and Eric Zabel. But if, if you look at the at the finishing results of those races, I mean, it's not a bunch of 100 riders that comes to the finish. It's it's 40 riders, you know, and th- and that, that those are the years where a bunch does make it to the finish. But it's it's a very, very small group. Usually, I, I mean, you do get the, the the breakaway victories like like Cancellara is probably the most recent one. But uh, even when the sprinters do win, I mean, it's a it's a tough tough win from from a relatively small group. But the, the, just going back to the, the Poggio being the whole focal point, it's a it's a fascinating race in that there's there's so few opportunities to win. You, you know, in Flanders, to tour Flanders, there's loads and of hills and there's loads of points yeah. within the race that that they can explode and, and points of attack that can succeed. But with Milan San Remo, you know, it's it's mostly all or nothing. And and when everybody in the bunch knows that this is the moment where somebody has to attack, if somebody is actually able to attack and make it stick, it's just all the more impressive because it's it's the place where everybody's waiting for it. Yeah, it's an extravagant display of strength because everybody knows where the move's going to make. Yeah, Everybody's watching. But if you can do it... Yeah. You've proven you're the strongest man in the day. I mean, you're talking about Cancellara. I also think about Pisato, who did it just in the you know the the dying breath of the race. Yeah, um, 
Now, I was quite upset that you referred to me as a fat rotund cyclotourist in there. <laughs> but, I mean, you're right, 3.7% even I could manage these days. And yeah. that's why you see these guys, they attack up the hill in a huge gear. Yeah. And the speed going uphill, we'll talk about the descent of, of no doubt later on because there's an Irish connection. Yeah. But the speed these guys go up the Poggio, watch this later on today and just be amazed. And I, I think it's easy as well when you're watching these guys on telly to um, be a, a, quite removed from the suffering they go through. When when you see, well, maybe not in some races, but in Milan and Raymond where the route is flat. But like you, you just it can't be underestimated that it is after 288 kilometers and these guys are wrecked. You know, I remember Mark Cavendish explaining that it wasn't uh, who who's the best at the end. It's it's the who's most most least wrecked at the end, you know, that it comes down to. And uh, I mean, these guys must be really, really hurting uh, go, going over that climb after such a after such a long race. So um, have you got any any anecdotes about the Poggio or anything? <laughs> As it happens, I have, yeah. Um, I, I spoke before, I was at this Q&A night in a pub, a local pub in Cork with, with Sean Kelly a few weeks ago, and he he had this great story, and it was something I'd never heard before, and um, he, he just to put a bit of context on it, he was speaking about um, the 1987 World Championships, which Stephen Roach ended up winning, and, and Roach had had won the, the Giro on the Tour, and you know, there wasn't really um, the the Irish team were set up for Sean Kelly that day. It was yeah. you know they, they were back in Sean Kelly and and uh, Roach just kind of ended up in the in the, the winning breakaway. But it wasn't supposed to happen that way. And uh, Kelly in the pub, he was given out about Marino Argentan. Yep, he said that he sat on his wheel all day in in the worlds in 1987. And and Kelly and Roach were, were, were taking turns to to try and get into the. The break that would ultimately succeed, and whenever Kelly went up the road, Argentan was following him. And he, Kelly said that he turned around at one stage and said, "Listen, mate, like this, you, you, you know, you, you're losing the race for yourself here, you know." And 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 Argentan was world champion at the time. I mean, he was literally giving his rainbow jersey away, yep. and uh, just by following Kelly around, and Argentan just didn't seem to care. And in in the end, you know, both of them lost, and. Uh, and a yeah, moment of history was made when Roach won the. Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. As as a tad more than a footnote, yeah, yeah. He, he ended up winning it and uh, getting getting the triple crown. But uh, I mean, I, I don't know for sure, but all I've ever read since was that Kelly was um, uh, he he was just ha- happy for Roach that day, you know, and it, it just didn't work out, and he was just delighted to play the team role, and he was happy, and you know, he put his arms up as well when he saw Roach was going to win it. Yep. And but I've, I've never heard him say anything otherwise than he was happy that day. But uh, he, then he went on to talk about the um, the, the descent of the Poggio in 1992 in Milan San Remo, where where he won. And uh, he, you know, Argentan had attacked on the Poggio and had a lead of of about ten or twelve seconds, I think, going yep. over the top. Plum lead. Which is normally enough to to win it for you. And you know, the the most the, fa- the famous descent. Um, proceeded <laughs> and w- w- one of the questions actually that went to Sean Kelly on the night was he- it was something kind of bland like how did you how did you manage to win Milan San Remo in 1992 and he kind of looked into the distance and he said uh, I-, I did a good descent <laughs> is what he said which is kind of an understatement for one of the most famous descents in the sport but uh, he-, he said when he was going down the Poggio you know he-, he and when he finally caught up with Argentine 
he was delighted that it was Argentina in front of him because when he crossed the line and, and put his arms up, he, he said that was revenge for 1987. And uh, he, he had waited five years to get his own back for Argentina denying him the rainbow jersey. But uh, he finally, finally got revenge. And Argentina never won Milan San Remo. And, and uh, he, he would have been fairly good about that, I'm sure. So I'd say he couldn't believe it when he turned around and saw Sean Kelly behind him. Well, I mean, that dissent, I mean, there was... On the Velocast this week, Scott and I talked about uh, Cancellara's awesome video of descending in the mountains during the Tour de France. Yeah. Because we were talking about Milan San Remo. But if anybody, if there is anybody on the planet who hasn't watched Sean Kelly's descent at the Poggio with that stupid, stupid hard shell helmet on, <laughs> um, you need to go on YouTube and watch it because it's a masterclass of controlled risk. You know, yeah. he's within millimetres of some of those walls on the way down. With a big fall, if he you know if he screws it up, yeah, and he just takes his life in his hands and descends like a stone. And I think that was his last monument, wasn't it? Yeah, it definitely was the last monument. It was his last big win of any description, really. He he, he kind of I suppose he kind of fizzled out after that. But, it's a uh, good way to bow out. Yeah, what a way to bow out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now this is a race which has a, a lot of history. I think uh, Lucien Petit Breton, who's a, a big name in the early years of cycling, uh, won the first edition in nineteen oh seven. But um, there, there's some other things that have happened over the years. Do you want to give us your next segment, Kelly? Yeah. In 2009, Mark Cavendish won Milan San Remo, which began a thus far unbroken run of 15 Monument Classics without an Italian winner. This has never happened before in the history of cycling. The Italians have gone 14 monuments in a row without a win a number of times previously, but this has not occurred since the 1970s. The last two times this abomination took place were between the years 1968 and 1973. Throughout these years, the classics were utterly dominated by Belgians. Eddie Merckx, Roger de Vlaminck, Walter Godefroot and Eric Le Mans left very little opportunities for ev- anyone else to sneak a win. But quite apart from the other monument classics, it has also been five years since an Italian has won Milan San Remo. That was Filippo Pazzato in 2006. Italians are fond of winning their own races. Five years is the longest stretch the Giro has ever gone without a home winner. But this current run of five years is not even nearly the most in a row without an Italian Milan San Remo winner. Since Loretto Petrucci's win in 1953, the Italians had to endure victories by foreigners from Belgium, France, Germany, Great Britain, Spain and the Netherlands before Michele Dancelli ended the 16-year barren spell in 1970. Even Raymond Poulador tasted victory in the meantime. He didn't always finish second. Even if he wasn't a proper rival. Um... This is, this is something that really interests me because, I mean, I, I, when I was kind of growing up watching cycling, not growing up as a grown man, we had people like Fondry Est who were winning classics all over the place. But I think, for me, this is something that is to do with the distance again. It's a hard man's race purely because of the 288-kilometre warm-up. Do you know the thing? Are you, trying, are you saying Italian riders are soft? Well, I, 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 I think they're softer than Northern European and Belgian riders, certainly for this kind of race. It is, I think, it, what we're talking about is exactly what you talked about in the first segment. The winner is the person who's least wrecked. And the yeah. Belgians, even when they're wrecked, tend not to admit it. Yeah, well, I mean, it, I suppose, I mean, it's it's such an early race in the season. And I suppose a lot depends on, on, on how many how many race days you have in your legs. Like I know Mark Cavendish when he won it in two thousand and nine, I I only read today he he had twenty two days racing in his legs, and then um, in two thousand and ten I, I don't know if you remember when everybody thought he was bluffing. Yep. Um, and he and just didn't have it. 
he just didn't. And he had only nine days racing in his legs before that. And you just can't, you can, I don't think you can do that. You know, you, you need to have the preparation. And uh, I mean, I don't know whether that's what's wrong with the Italians. But I mean, if you look at the list of, of possible winners from Italy, I mean, it, there, there is, there's not that many that you really think have a good chance. I mean, there's the two lads that have won it before, Patato and Pataki. They'll be going for it again. But I mean, neither of them have won a race this year. Or, or at least I don't think so. And, and um, you know, they haven't had, neither of them have really had form for the last while. Patato's just been following Philippe Gilbert around for two years doing nothing. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's any credibility to be attached to, to a prediction of an Italian winner. No, well, there's the young lads, you know, like all these Elia Viviani and Andre Guardini and 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 these lads, but they're, I think they're just too young. Yeah. I, this this for me was the race where Cavendish suddenly became became some somebody to take seriously, as opposed to just you know a, a poacher of Grand Tour stage wins. I mean, he was already a great rider, but yeah. when you win a win a monument, it defines your career. Suddenly, people expect far more of you. Yeah. And I I almost started to think he might do well in the cobbled stuff, but I think um I can see him winning this again, but I'm not sure he's developed enough as a rider to win anything else. Do you think he's the favourite for tomorrow? Um or in fact today now, because this is a trade <laughs> secret people. We're recording on Friday night, although we're releasing on Saturday. <laughs> um I I he he would be my favourite anyway, yeah. I, I, I think he, I mean he's won He's won stages uh, in a, in a couple of races already. He he looks he looks a lot leaner than he does. He says he is a lot leaner than than he normally is at this time of year. Um, I, I suppose it'll all just come down to whether Sky can keep it together going going over the Poggio. And Sky won't be the only team trying to keep it together. You know, there'll be there'll be plenty. But uh, I mean, if if Cavendish is there after after they go over the top he i, I think he, he'll win it you know and i mean let's be blunt we've we've already seen one precedent this year where um bradley wiggins took paris nice after the previous british winner was tom simpson yeah and the, the, you know the, the parallel here is that although the last british winner was cav before that it was toby simpson again it, it was yeah and my god i mean the, the the british riders are doing unbelievable this year i think they're i think they're maybe second in the list of 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 wins you know they're just getting wins wins from everywhere and uh you know as as a british man it must be fairly uh scottish dude scottish. actually i know i am british i'm not a rabid nationalist uh, <laughs> but let's go for english speaking and that way we can agree to include your lot as well yeah, well, I don't think there's any Irish. They're not even. There's none of them even riding today. I don't think. Um, um, now, let's move on to the last segment, um, and it's it regards a man. Now, tomorrow, a few people have mentioned to me that Balan might be one of the favourites, um, which I think is a bit far fetched. In fact, one person had a, a vision and a dream via Twitter con- communicated to me that they saw Balan in a breakaway, and. When we're talking about Balan, the first thing that springs to my mind is, is his magnificent teeth. I mean, let's be blunt. <laughs> and your last story also features someone with magnificent teeth. Yeah. In the year 2000, Michael Bugard dismissed Milan San Remo by calling it a one-cent race. Bugard was a man for the Hilly Classics, proving his pedigree by taking victory in his home race of Amstel Gold the previous year. But in 2000, Bugard had this to say. Milan San Remo is nothing for me. It's a one cent race. It's nothing. The Primavera is only popular because it's the first classic of the season. Okay, the ambience at the start is nice, but that's all. Ask Johan Museo. He doesn't like this race either because you can't go real deep. To be explosive on the Suppressa or the Poggio, that's the only important part in this race. 
It's perhaps unsurprising that Booger didn't like Milan San Remo, as he never came close to winning it. His best result had been 37th in 1998. Museo, on the other hand, had finished on the podium before in 1992, and contrary to what Bugert had claimed, had this to say before the race in 1997. I became a different man when I won the rainbow jersey. I want to prove I'm a real champion and that it was not just a lucky day in Lugano. I will ask my team to ride for me on Saturday. Lauren Jalabert was very good in the Paris-Nice race, but that is not comparable with Milan San Remo. I will be hard to stop if I am in a good position when we reach the Poggio climb. As it happened, Jalabert and Museo would tangle in the sprint finish and the world champion limped home in 39th place. But back to 2000, and for the same edition which Bugard was sticking his nose up at, another new world champion was aiming for glory, Oscar Freire. It would be the first time he would ever take part in Milan San Remo. He said before the race, the world championships had 260 kilometers, and I imagine that I'll be in the group that arrives in San Remo to contest the victory. I must be there. And the Spaniard was there, but he could only manage third behind Eric Zabel and Fabio Baldato. Thus far in his career, Freire has won both the World Championships and Milan San Remo three times, but surprisingly has never won on the Via Roma while wearing the rainbow jersey. The last rider to do so was Giuseppe Cerrone in 1983, who also won the Tour of Lombardy and the Giro d'Italia as world champion. With Mark Cavendish in the rainbow jersey currently, there is perhaps the biggest chance yet that a rider will emulate the achievement of Cerrone in 1983. That would be that would be a delight, actually. I've I've enjoyed watching Cav cross the line with the uh, with arms aloft in the rainbow jersey. It is. It's it's great to see a world champion winning winning all the time. You know, I mean, there's been there's been so many there's been so many that struggled. I know the curse the rainbow jersey is kind of a overused term. You know, you could you could attribute the curse of anything to anybody. You know, riders have up and down years. It's just you know, it's it's one of those things. You could have the curse of the rider who finished seventh in the tour, and you'd still find anomalies of people having bad years. But you know, it, it, it's great that uh, that the, the rainbow jersey crossed the line with his arms up. It's 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 good to see. But I I, I know you were kind of giving Alessandro Balan a hard time, but he 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 nearly won it last year. You know, he he was in that group at the end. I think he came fifth, fourth or fifth. No, I mean he's 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 a good solid classics rider, um, yeah. and he's he's somebody who if it, you know if the stars align correctly, we could see him you know cross the line first. So I was a bit sarcastic, but he's a he's a genuine second string contender for me. Yeah. Um, Ogre, do you think it's just sour grapes because he he actually was pretty crap at this race? Um, yeah. Well, whatever about Milan San Remo, but but I know um, I. When I made the notes, I was actually at home in Dublin, and I I, I know that I have it in a magazine somewhere that there's a an interview with him. I, I didn't have time to dig it out, but uh, it was a, a retrospective thing after he had retired, and he was asked about um, coming second all the time in Amstel Gold. Um, he he came second an enormous amount. I think there was one stage where he had come second four years in a row. Yeah, he, he did win it once, but but you know he he just came second and third all the time, and uh, he was asked. Um, you know, do you do you regret this, and do, are you upset that you're remembered for not winning rather than winning? And he tried to he tried to make it sound like no, no, no. People remember me for my wins, and I have so many wins. But uh, I don't think that's quite true. I, you know, I, I think he is remembered for coming second all the time, and he did come second all the time. You know, I mean, you just have to look at his results. I, I'd hesitate to call him a a bottler, but uh, he wasn't a prolific winner. But no. his talent. I mean, let's be blunt. No. No, um, I, so I, we we've gone this far without mentioning a, a particular man who who I suppose we, we should really mention before we uh, before we finish. 
Um, is it the postman who beat Michael Boga up the uh, up the cowberg on his electric bike? No. No. Have you seen that video? No. I'll send you a link. It's hilarious. <laughs> uh, presumably, then we're talking about um, Edward Louis Merckx. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he he dominated this race. He's won it seven times, which is which is the most uh, for Milan San Remo, but it's also the, the most for, for any major one day race. Um, no, nobody's ever won another one of these types of races seven times. Although um, there is a rider who finished, who crossed the line first in Milan San Remo seven times, and that's uh, Costanti Girardengo. He he was. Oh good, I knew I could rely on you to come up with something like this. That's brilliant stuff, Cario and Killian. He 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 was, you know, the first champion of champions in in Italian cycling. Um, I, I don't have his palmares in front of me now, but I I think he. I think he won. Um, oh God, I don't know. He he won the Giro maybe maybe four. To, I don't know three or four times anyway. And he won he won Milan San Remo six times. Um, and it, and and between I think it was between nineteen seventeen and nineteen twenty six for for those ten years he he was always on the podium. But in nineteen fifteen he crossed the line first, but he was disqualified because he went the wrong way at, at one stage in race. He didn't complete the course, so they disqualified him the first time he won. So so. You know, I think he, he he can be probably a little bit upset about that that, that Merckx was able to beat his record. I very much doubt if he's still upset about it. I would imagine <laughs> he's six feet under the ground yeah, somewhere, yeah. mate. <laughs> so, this week, Milan San Remo, um, we're at the start of a really rich vein of cycling history. So, I mean, this week we've had real troubles with internet connections and, and work conflicts and all sorts of stuff. But um, I'm I'm gagging for the season proper to to start, and for me, the primavera is the start of the season proper. Yeah, I, and we we were really um, treated last year to a set of classics, which were just fantastic. Like, I, you know, I I think it was the most exciting Manson Remo in years. I know Cavendish pipping Hauser on the line was was a brilliant climax, but but. You know what went before it was was kind of the usual. Whereas last year it was brilliant when the race split, Frere and Hushoft were were two major favourites. They got stuck behind. Yeah. The race fell to pieces on the podium. Really. I think it was Johan Afredo and Michele Scarponi and Nibali were all very active, and then it came back together. And then there's Matt Goss who who didn't do any work and and you know he popped out at the end. Yeah, yeah, but it was it was brilliant and it set the tone for the whole for the whole series of classics. Like Tour of Flanders was, was fantastic. And uh, yeah. Parry Roubaix, you know, there was a lot of talking points after with with Hushoft again, and Johan van Sommeren and the, and the Garmin tactics. But it, you know, it all made for fascinating watching. So I think we're going to have a lot to talk about. Thanks for listening to this week's this week in cycling history. As ever, you can find Killian and I on Twitter. Killian is the Irish Peloton, and I'm Sofa Boy. If you want to, if you want to, you know, pay for Killian's extensive bar bill, you can make donations via Velocast.cc. And please make a note in the PayPal thing or send us a wee email saying that you want you know, that donation to go towards Kelly and we'll make a part of it happen. And other than that, we'll see you next week for more This Week in Cycling History. Mm-hmm.